0: you are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. In 1913, it was like around 60 cents. So if we use a hundred as just saying it should be a hundred times more than it is, that's 60 bucks. Now look, I'll settle for a $60 silver price as opposed to a $26 silver price, but it ain't a thousand.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and in today's show, you're going to be hearing from one of my close friends, Cary Lutz of the Financial Survival Network. I daily chat with Kerry over the phone regarding the markets, metals, and mining stocks. Kerry has been a podcaster interviewing the who's who in macroeconomics and uh, the precious metals sector and mining stock sector for over a decade. He also has a past of being a New York lawyer. And in that career, he worked in the heart of the financial district there in Manhattan, providing services to a lot of these hedge funds. And he also did a number of deals with those hedge funds hedge funds and was quite successful. He doesn't brag about it, but I know a little bit about the backstory. So Carrie, you're a good friend. Welcome onto the show. And because of your knowledge of how these hedge funds work, when we look at what happened with the Wall Street bets movement and, you know, punishing the shorts, taking down the hedge funds and, uh, organizing this silver squeeze, one of the things you told me was not to look at it just as the narrative. There's often deeper layers as to what these hedge funds are doing to one another beneath the surface. Could you elaborate a little bit about this?
0: Yeah, well, I have this theory of business in America that every profession eventually eats its own, Lawyers suing lawyers for malpractice, for a whole bunch of other things. You got doctors testifying against other doctors as expert witnesses to get huge fees. And and it goes on and on. And really, hedge funds are no different. A lot of you've ever watched the show Billions. It's a fictionalization. It's silly in a lot of ways. But the one thing you get is they hate competitors. They hate each other. They might uh, be... In public drinking with one another, and then the second they're out of public, the knife, the shiv is stuck between the ribs. And that's the way that you have to understand exactly what the squeezes were and and how it happened. And so Robin Hood, I have no doubt, identified these stocks, whether it be at GameStock, AMC, Nokia a bunch of dogs, even Koss. Now Koss made the best headphones when I was like 15 years old. I didn't even know they were still in business, yet alone were like such a short target. I think they were from uh, Milwaukee, actually met Mr. Koss one time, and uh, it was a great company in its day, but now it's like a dog with fleas. And so hedge funds, first and foremost, are opportunists. And I know these people, they were my neighbors. Like you say, I dealt with them. I, one hedge fund, I always joke with the uh, owner, Um, well-known hedge fund, as you say, I knew you before you were a billionaire, probably worth a few hundred million then. Uh, You know, this is, they look for opportunities and nobody, you know, there's been short squeezes throughout history and and really, uh, it's called forced buying. When a short gets squeezed and they have to buy into the stock at whatever price to cover their to cover their shorts, I sent you an article from Zero Hedge, which really, really summed up the practice. It's supposedly illegal in the US, but I believe that broker dealers are still allowed to do it because they're supposed to uh, get get the stock and borrow the stock and then give it to the client, but they're allowed to... They could short and then get the stock afterwards, and whether they do or not, the heck knows. Um, it's definitely a frowned upon practice. But when you see a GameStop, a hundred forty percent short interest, that means that it's not just that there's forty percent more shares that have been shorted than exist. All right, and then you get this phenomena of, of phantom shares, but. Hundred, even if there's a hundred percent short interest, that means that every single entity loaned out their shares, and a lot of a lot of uh, insiders won't allow it. And there's steps you can take to hinder the brokerage houses from shorting your shares. I don't want to go into it now, but if you're interested, you can find out. Send Bill an email, and I'll I'll send you how you do it. But it's it's difficult. But the big players, the big insiders can do it. So the concept of even 100% of the shares being shorted means there's naked shorts out there, even at 100, probably at 50% there could be. Now, when you sign your brokerage agreement, there's a little box there that says you can uh, allow the brokerage house to loan out your shares to short sellers. And you could click that box or not click it. I don't even know if they do it anymore. It's been a while. Certain brokerage houses will actually give you a part of their fee because when you loan the shares out, you actually uh, the brokerage house gets a fee for this purpose it's a It's a pittance it could be like fifty cents a share, it might be interest. I don't know exactly the mechanics of the brokerage industry, but you can actually share in the proceeds. I think interactive does that, but then you know then the fun begins so. Other hedge funds identified vulnerabilities in a bunch of other hedge funds. And these vulnerabilities led back to the brokerage houses. They got into trouble, which is why they started the restrictions, because they had to up their collateral. I guess that goes with, I don't know where the collateral is held, I think at the clearing house or some independent party holds their collateral. And when they see these situations arise where there's potential for fungus losses, because what happens when the when brokerage uh, house sends out a margin call, uh, just like in reality, a lot of people don't pay it. And they just walk away from their accounts. And when you see this, then the brokerage house is left hol- holding the bag. And this could, uh, could severely Im- uh, impair their capital, which is exactly what we saw with Robin Hood and probably several others. And according to Nick Santiago, who actually worked on the street, you know, there were a lot of brokerage houses exposed as a result of this, which is why you saw Robin Hood recapitalize billions and billions of dollars. So it, it's a really interesting phenomena. Where we live, the world in which we live today, where the rules don't really they apply to you and me, the little Robin Hood traders they apply to, but the big guys, you know they get a pass
1: is there any aspect of David versus Goliath here? Do you think that we could overlay that narrative on the last two weeks
0: well in david in david's mind, he was going up against Goliath in goliath's mind. Goliath saw an opportunity brought on by David and jumped to the forefront. Then you saw what happened in the silver market, which is a really interesting situation in and of itself because the physical disappeared from the retail market. We know, you know, you know the same people as I do. They had no silver to sell, and then you know you got uh, a situation where where it just went crazy and you really had a split between the COMEX price and The retail silver price, and it still exists to some extent right now. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor.
1: Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. At Silver One's Candelaria Mine project in Nevada, there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver, which Silver One is developing and advancing. The company's Phoenix Silver Project, located within the Arizona Silver Belt, is an early stage exploration project on which native silver vein fragments have been discovered near surface one grab sample assayed an astounding 14,688 ounces per ton yes that's right ounces not grams silver one has tremendous exploration potential is extremely leveraged to the price of silver and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value silver one trades in new york under the ticker s l v r f and in toronto under the ticker s v e to learn more go to silver one dot com that's silverone.com. Do you think that mass buying and demanding physical bullion is that the key to seeing a higher silver price? Because there was a lot of deflation emotionally with silver investors this past week.
0: Oh yeah, eventually, when the inv- individuals start doing it, then the uh, the the big guys will demand delivery too. Because they'll jump on and they'll see an opportunity to go long silver and trigger all the shorts. I mean, it's a, it's a war going on here, Bill. And, uh, and the Davids are kind of the foot soldiers, the sacrificial pawns who get slaughtered while the big guys really hammer it out behind the scenes that you don't see.
1: Yeah, and I think we should point out, just so I don't get any hate mail or mean comments, listen, both Kerry and I own a lot of physical silver, as well as silver mining stock. So you're you're listening to two silver bulls talk, not two silver bashers. But at the same time, Kerry, are there any takeaways that silver bulls should take away from what's occurred in the last week for maybe some self-reflection?
0: I will go back to this guy, Charles Biederman, who used to be a guest on my podcast, and he said it best. He said, and this was years ago when silver really got slammed and it was down to almost single digits. He said, right now, silver is the worst investment in the world. One day, you're going to wake up and it will be the best investment. We're getting close to that point now. Look, we we know the big uh, bullion houses, how many times have they been indicted for fixing prices? Now the way that the uh, government presents it oh this is a one off event and you know i'm not saying that they totally fix the price every day there are those who do believe it but i do think they're kind of like the butcher selling you a pound of uh, a pound of fillet mignon but having his thumb on the scale that's the way i look at it and they know ex- through the algorithms they know exactly the right moment to put the thumb on the scale or to uh, To load the scale down with substandard beef, and you buy it. So that's our disadvantage as individual investors and speculators in these mining stocks. But our advantage is that we can sit back and wait. You don't have to be persuaded by the noise. Whereas the traders out there, you know, we saw that they can really get hurt when they're not properly cognizant of their vulnerabilities. We don't have those vulnerabilities in the long run, because assume that you're long silver for the long run. You know, did you sell any of your physical silver uh, after what happened uh, last week,
1: (laughs) not an ounce. It's in the same place. It was before.
0: Exactly. And and silver is really looks like there's some uh, there's a real support level at 26, whereas gold has been weaker over its relative strength has been way weaker over the past several months. Silver has been hanging in there, uh, going a sideways channel. When it does break, I think it's going to be massive. You know, one thing uh, I heard uh, somebody say that, you know, inflation-adjusted, silver should be a $1,000, right? So that triggered something when you and I were discussing. And I said, all right, so our modern inflationary era started in 1913. All right, the price of gold at the time was $20 and 20 some odd cents or 60. I don't remember the exact amount. Right now, the price hit 2000. Now it's pulled back a bit in the 1800s. Looks like 1800 is support for gold as well. But if you just say 1800 times 20, that's a 90 fold increase. And if you look at the Statistics they say a dollar is worth uh, one cent of what a 1913 dollar was worth and it's hard to gauge that because of technology increases our productivity level throughout the world has increased so much it's difficult to measure that but let's just assume that that's correct so gold's a little bit undervalued in those terms silver on the other hand in 1900 it was like a dollar 16 or 18. we had demonetization of silver where you know they basically that was a whole long thing we if you're interested in that just look it up williams james william james bryant the whole the whole battle between silver and gold but in 1913 it was like around 60 cents so if we use 100 as just saying it should be 100 times more than it is that's 60 bucks now look i'll settle for a $60 silver price as opposed to a $26 silver price but it ain't a thousand all right now granted consumer price indexes are twisted and they're rough approximations even when they're really accurate so you could make the argument that really inflation we're at one half of one percent right you could make that argument and i wouldn't dispute it because food isn't in there energy is not in there in the cpi so even if it was half a cent that a dollar today is worth as opposed to a 1913 dollar on the eve of of the federal reserve act being snuck through congress mm-hmm. that would still be four thousand dollar gold and but uh, we're looking at uh, 120 twenty dollar silver but i'm willing to say somewhere between 60 and 120 dollars mm-hmm. is the actual price of silver plus we got massive inflation taking place now in every market Asset market, except gold and silver, in stocks, in in uh, artwork, in real estate. So you know you have to take all these numbers with a grain, because nobody really knows the right answer. But my feeling, sixty to one hundred twenty dollars, assuming that silver should be a hedge against inflation and should have its value adjusted. But we've also seen major increases in production, but major decreases in reserves. And and silver, industrial metal, it gets used and basically tossed into the landfill in minute amounts. Uh, supposedly, there's companies that have a process to strip it out of electronics, precious metals. I don't know about all that. All I know is that silver, by by 1913 numbers, is undervalued, assuming that it should have appreciated at the same rate of gold. And if it should have appreciated higher because there's less reserves, you know, back then it was fifteen to one or twenty to one. Every twenty ounces of silver, you got one ounce of gold. Now it's eight, uh, and these aren't numbers that I'm making up. Now maybe they've got some way of creating silver nanotubes to use in electronics, cars, and all that, solar cells. But they aren't using it yet. So, by all rights, both metals probably undervalued, probably substantially. I don't know $10,000 gold, $1,000 silver, but we do know when markets get going where speculation emerges, you can have massive increases that are well above the intrinsic value. And the good thing that came of Robin Hood is the millennials, the Robin Hooders, or as the uh, federal, as the, as, uh, what's her name? Uh, Maxine Waters probably calls them uh, Robin Hoodlums. They all of a sudden, en masse, became aware of an even more barbarous relic than gold. So this is an epiphany for the millennials. And um, I once laughingly wrote an article, the millennial generation is the next greatest generation. I mean, I have three of these millennials, my children. But this is an awakening to them that, hey, you know, maybe Bitcoin, you know, who knows? Um,
1: Well, there's nothing like holding a silver bar in your hand, is there, Kerry?
0: No, no, no. And I've got, I keep a little silver bullet in my drawer. I don't know how it's going to come out. Maybe you can see it there. I sure can. One ounce of uh, pure silver. And uh, eventually it could be the bullet in the neck of the financial system but we're not <laughs> there yet not quite
1: okay but silver is the safest and best investment in my opinion for the common man and Kerry, would you agree with that
0: i think uh look you wouldn't wouldn't uh, buy a house without having uh, insurance on it for casualty for uh, theft or fire flood whatever you want to be insured uh you wouldn't uh wouldn't have a family without an, a life insurance policy if you're the sole breadwinner um, to me it's no different this is the ultimate insurance policy but it's an insurance policy that could also yield major riches if your timing's right if your selection is right you buy those mining stocks at the right price the right companies all of these things are real difficult to do but Insurance is insurance, and you don't wake up one day and say, "You know, I haven't been robbed or had a fire in 40, uh, 42 years my case here. You know what do I need insurance for? I'm just paying these insurance companies and they're just stealing my money. I'm canceling all my insurance. You know I have a disability policy bill that I've had for thirty seven years, cost me a fortune. They call me superstitious. I could really get rid of it now, but I feel like the day after I got rid of it, I would get disabled. And then where am I now? So you don't just get rid of your insurance because things appear to be good. You hold on to that insurance because it's an unforeseen event. An insurable event is one that's unforeseen, unknowable, and that you can't prepare for other than to take out an insurance policy. So precious metals are the ultimate insurance policy against governmental stupidity against geopolitical turmoil against uh against political uncertainty all of which we're encountering now so how could you not have some and you know the beauty of silver is you could go buy a roll of uh free 1965 quarters from your local coin shop and what is that going to cost you like uh I don't know, 50 bucks. And you could buy one of them a month or a week. You could just start stacking it up and just leave it someplace safe and you're ready.
1: Excellent, that's great. We'll leave it on that note. Well, Kerry's website is com. His podcast is Financial Survival Network. It's found where all good podcasts are found. Kerry, thanks for giving us an overview of Silver and sharing some of your thoughts in light of the recent events. We'll be talking to you again soon.